Well, good morning. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're so glad that you are joining with us, whether you're at one of our physical locations in Champaign, Oregon, or you're checking us out online um, on Facebook, YouTube, whatever it is. We are just so glad you are with us. Well, today I'm just I'm super excited. I'm pumped because we are starting a brand new teaching series called Doctrine. And in fact, this is actually part one of a three-part series that we're going to do collectively throughout the year. Now. The big idea of this series is pretty simple, um, but it's going to take us some time as we kind of pick apart the pieces. The big idea of the series is this, is that we exist to know God and make him known. We exist to know God, to understand that love, and also to experience it and share it with others. Now, I'm just going to be honest for a second that there are parts of this series that are going to probably stretch us a little bit, challenge us, confront us, convict us in ways that maybe perhaps we haven't considered our fundamental beliefs about God. You see, doctrine is all about having the right way of thinking. And we're kind of saying that these are kind of the the important fundamental elements of our faith, because we believe that, that that right living begins with right thinking. One of our kind of mantras, something that we say all the time around here in our efforts of discipleship is that our head knowledge should always lead to heart change. That's just not enough to know the right thing. But if we truly know and believe the right things about God, the spirit, his church, his love, his mission, it should transform us inside out. And that's what this series is saying. It's kind of setting us up on the path to begin to say, how do we have the proper, the right, correct foundational building blocks of our faith? And how does that lead to transform and change our lives? So today we're talking about uh, our, our first two weeks of God himself. And we're today, it's the holiness of God. It's A.W. Tozer is a theologian in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says this, he says, what comes into our minds when we, what, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's kind of like arguably the most fundamental question that exists in our life, right? Who or what is God? Now, depending on who you ask, you might get a variety of answers. You get people on one end of the spectrum all the way to the other on people's thoughts, beliefs, opinions about God. So let me ask you, if you had to try to define God, to, to, to describe God, what one word, if you could only use one word, would you choose? Would you choose the word good? Well, perhaps God is love, maybe. Big? Undoubtedly. How about eternal, preeminent, everlasting, merciful? Sure, 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 absolutely. Others of us might say, you know, to me, God's kind of judgmental. He's harsh. To me, he, he, he's distant. And what I hope we walk away with today is that no matter what word we choose or collection of words, it's not going to adequately cover how we believe the true God to exist. Yet the truth of the matter is that even though God is otherworldly, if you believe in God, you believe that he's not necessarily walking in our midst per se, but that he is knowable. And so I believe that the term we're going to look at today best paints the portrait of understanding God. It's the best that we can do in our own terms, our own human language. It's the closest to a summation and a sufficient definition of the character of God without humanizing his nature or minimizing his deity. And it's this word. It's the word holy. 
H-O-L-Y. Holy. Now, I don't know about you, when I think of the word holy, typically it's, it's used as a part of a phrase that has like a negative connotation. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the well, there he goes. He's just, you know, he's just one of those guys. He's, he's a little holier than thou. Well, there she goes, you know, she's just walking around like she owns the place, just like she's holier than everyone else. Or you're taking, mm, these donuts, these donuts are really holy. Actually, different holy. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is that I believe, and we're gonna hopefully discover today that the word holy is the best singular description to describe God himself. And dare I say, it's the most pivotal. For if we neglect to understand and believe that God is holy, everything else begins to unravel with it. That if we don't believe in a holy God, then it's going to create cracks in the foundation of our faith. You see, there are lots of words all throughout scripture used to depict God. Talk about his love, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his wrath. But holy is the only word used in a triad, used in a repetitive nature to emphasize and describe God, to describe Yahweh. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter six, when he's experiencing the throne of God, he says these words in chapter six, verses one through three. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, this is I, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah talking, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. These are kind of like these majestic beings, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their face with two, they covered their feet and with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another. And this is the important part here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's interesting that the word holy was chosen, right? Isaiah didn't say, I saw the Lord. He was seated on the throne and man, he is good, good, good. Or God is, is, is faithful, faithful, faithful. Or, or God is, is mighty, mighty, mighty. Or love, love, love. No, no, he says the, the Lord, he is holy, holy, holy. You see, we first run into the word holy in the creation account in Genesis uh, chapter two. As God is going through his creation, he's finished creating everything. And then he arrives at the seventh day and, he's, and we, we get these words in Genesis chapter two, verse three. It says, then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. The last word, uh, the last time we see the word holy comes in Genesis chapter 20 or Revelation chapter 22, the very end of scripture, when it's used to define the new city of Jerusalem, the holy city after everything has been restored to God's original intent. So it begs the question, how do we begin to understand this idea of holiness? Well, throughout the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew word Kadesh that was used over and over again. In the New Testament, it was the Greek word Agios, and collectively used nearly 700 times throughout scripture, always used in reference to God, following God, describing God's nature, and always defined as holy or holiness. Now, holy has kind of a twofold definition, if you will. It's kind of got two meanings that go together. And the first one is the one that you and I, I think probably would naturally understand. Is that holy, well, it means pure or, or, or perfect, right? That's kind of the first definition of holy. It's when something is pure, it's perfect. It's not really lacking anything. 
The way I like to think of it is it's kind of like the difference between fresh, pure, squeezed orange juice and the stuff that comes from concentrate. They're both good. Don't get me wrong. They're both, they're both pretty good. But one of them is the real deal. One of them ain't lacking anything. One of them is like the bomb. And the other, it's like, yeah, it's not good, right? One of them is pure. The other is not. But there's a second correlation that comes with the word holiness. I think this is the part that we need to probably think about and consider a little bit more than the other. And it's that holiness also means, in conjunction to the pure and perfect, it also means unique, set apart. Or frankly, it just means other. It just means other. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 10 puts it this way. He said, he says, there is none like you, O Lord. Your name is great and mighty in power. And so for us, I think this sets up the launching point, understanding God and understanding his holiness, simply that he is other. He is something we are not. He is set apart. He is pure. He is perfect. He is other. And so as we dive into this first doctrine of understanding God, it's, it's pretty simple what his holiness means for us. It's that God is holy and we are not. God is holy and we are not. Now, I don't know if that reassures you. I don't know if that, that challenges you. This might be a good time to nudge the person sitting next to you. Like, hey, I told you you're not perfect. You don't have it all together either. See, see even though Genesis chapter one says we as, as mankind and humankind, as we're made in the image and likeness of God, we are not God. We are like God, but we are not God. And what separates himself from us is his holiness. He is different. That he, he is pure. He is perfect. He is other. And yet we are never naturally by our instincts pure, even though God is, we are not holy. We are not holy people by nature. We naturally drift towards sin and pride and selfishness in our life. Don't we? You see, even that, that word, that concept of sin means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. We've talked about this. And, uh, that it means to miss the target, to not hit the bullseye. And that bullseye is the holiness of God. But here's the thing is that God's not surprised. He's not like, whoa, 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 hold on. Wait a second. I thought you guys figured this out. We've been doing this for a few thousand years. Haven't you guys kind of put the pieces together, know how to do this yourself? No, no, God, he is completely aware of our lack of holiness. Nothing ever surprises him when we make a choice that goes against him and his will. He knows that we, in and of ourselves, we are not holy. Yet God, God in himself, everything he does, everything he is, is holy. And here's why this is important. I need you to get this. Is that if God is not holy, he cannot be good. And if God is not good, he cannot be loving. And if he cannot be loving, there could be no justness. And if there is no justness, he cannot be trusted. And if he cannot be trusted, why would we ever believe his plan for creation? If God were not holy, let me just ask you, would you have confidence in him? If he were just like us, if he were not other, would you have confidence in so how do we begin to understand that? What does that mean? What does the holiness of God depict? What is it? How does it apply to our lives? And it's this, it's that God's holiness 
is the balance of his goodness and his power. That God's holiness, it's the balance of both his goodness and his power. So when we talk of God's goodness, we're saying that under goodness, it's this all-encompassing asset in which we encounter his unending love, his grace, his mercy, his word of God that has been inspired for us to know more about him. His goodness, it's the gift of the spirit, his inability to exist with sin and brokenness, the blessings that he has for life, the desires to see us transform, his ability to be just, all of that falls under the goodness of God. But at the same time too, God is not just completely good. He is also completely powerful. And under powerful, that God's power, we realize his eternal nature, that his creation, his ability to create everything that we see and touch and smell and taste was out of God's breath, ex nihilo, out of nothing through his power. His all attributes, if you will, his, his omnipotence, his ability to be all powerful, his omniscience, his ability to know everything, his omnipresence, his power to be everywhere at one time. Now, perhaps though, the, the, the best illustration that I've ever understood and found when it comes to the holiness of God, understanding that it's kind of like the sun. You know, the, the big yellow warm ball of fuzz in the sky, The sun has a goodness and a power that that brings value to our life. See, the sun is good, right? We need the sun in order to survive. That that brings us warmth, it does night and day, and the the, the vitamin D that makes us healthy, all that stuff, you, you get it, that the sun is good for us. However, at the same time too, the sun is really, really powerful, isn't it? that even from 93 million miles away, if you were to stare directly at it, it's gonna cause damage to you, right? If you get too close to the sun, you're toast, literally, right? And so holiness, it requires a respect that we gain through the knowledge of God himself. But at the same time too, it requires a response that leads to a heart change. You see, you can believe all the facts. You can believe God to be true. You can believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he uh, died on a cross, went to the grave, rose three days later, that anyone who has faith in him shall not perish, but have eternal. You can believe all of the things to be true about God, about Jesus. You can know all the facts. But unless you love and cherish and be transformed by the holiness of God, is it truly real to you. What I'm trying to say is this, is, is if, again, again just, just if you believe in a God who is real and a God who is holy, that this truth, it is too big. It is too grand. It is too powerful. It is too potent to say, yeah, I believe, but I'm just going to go put it on the shelf. Well, I understand God is holy, but it's not actually going to be something that changes my life. See, God's holiness, just like the sun, it needs to be understood, needs to be respected, but there also is a response. It's something so good and something so powerful requires a response from us. Think about it. Whenever we, whenever we fail to respect the power of the sun, we get burned. If we ever were to fail to respond to needing and valuing the sun in our life, we would literally freeze to death. The sun, it's this ability for us to share in its goodness and its power at the same time. And in a similar way, God has said, I am holy, I am good, I am powerful. 
in a way. And I want to invite you to experience me in a life-giving manner. You see, all throughout scripture, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see tactile examples of God displaying his holiness, but also making a way for all of us to experience his presence. But there's like almost this this trend that we see throughout scripture. Whenever God is there, there becomes holy. For if God is there, there is holy. That if God shows up, if God is present, if God is active, because God is holy, there automatically becomes holy because that is who God is. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the, the, the clearest ways is we see the nation of Israel, they would worship in what was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was this, this thing that they would set up and it had these different quarters and they had this holy place. But then in the middle of the holy place was the most holy place, the holy of holies in which the Ark of the Covenant would sit. And that was the presence of God. And that was the place that no one could enter except for the great high priest once a year. Why? Because that was God saying, I am here with you, but I am very, very, very holy. I am good, but I am powerful. Tread carefully. In the New Testament, though, we see something a little bit different. Jesus, in some ways, begins to turn that upside down and begins to say, no, no, holiness is is everywhere that I am. In John chapter 5, verse 18, this is kind of what gets Jesus arguably in the most trouble leads to his crucifixion. In John chapter five, verse 18, it says this, it says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. They're trying to, the the Pharisees, the chief priests, they're trying to kill Jesus. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Get this, making himself equal with God. See, kind of what was happening is Jesus was was walking around and they'd be like, yo, yo, bro, uh, J-Dog, like, we get you good. <laughs> like, you, 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 yeah, there's something special about you. We get that. Yeah, you've gotten some, you've done some cool tricks. That's pretty rad too. We don't know how to do any of the, those cool tricks, but, but let's just get something straight, man. You're not God. There is only one God. And gosh, and so if you're God, you're trying to claim you are holy, that you don't need to repent, that, 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 that you don't need to offer sacrifices, that you don't need to be made right. God, you tell us, you're claiming that there's something different, something set apart, something other from you. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's why I came. That's why I lived. That's why I died. And this is my free gift to offer to anyone. See, Jesus goes on to proclaim that he came to be with us and share in that holiness on our behalf. That throughout the gospels, we see Jesus. He purifies the sins of man, the traditions, the customs, but ultimately the hearts of those who would repent and believe. From creation all the way through revelation, we see this manifestation of God's holiness time and time again. God's proclamation of saying, I am holy. And if I am there, there is holy. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's so powerful. Hopefully you're sensing how, how palpable that is because this is the gospel message for us. If we realize we are not holy, yet God in his goodness and power has made a way for us not just to receive it, but to experience it and be transformed by his holiness. Jesus basically said that you cannot be holy in and of yourself. You cannot work your way. You cannot earn your way. You cannot outweigh your way to be holy, to be with God. Instead, you will need my holiness, Jesus says. You will need my grace, my love. I will pay the price. I will satisfy God's wrath and I will live in you. If you repent of your sin and believe in me, the holiness of God will be with you. 
The big thing I think that trips us up when we think about holiness and God and just how do we bring these together is that we think we need to earn it. Here's the truth is that holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus is the way to holiness. Or say that again, holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus is the way to holiness. We don't prove ourselves valuable. We don't prove ourselves holy in a manner that Jesus says, cool, come to me. You've done enough. You've earned it. I can consider you holy. Welcome to the club. Jesus says, no, you can't. You ain't going to get there. But guess what? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it on your behalf. I'm going to offer you that free gift of grace so that holiness can be yours. You see, see, what we're trying to say is that we don't prove our holiness to God. Rather, that when God sees you, he sees the holiness of Christ. So too often I hear stuff like, well, well, Eric, you know, like, uh, I want to follow God, but I need to get my life in order first. I just got some things that I need to kind of get in place. I need to kind of, kind of uh, stop doing this, start doing this. And then I think God's going to be cool with me. Or sometimes say, well, well, Eric, you know, I, I'm thinking about baptism, but you know, there's a couple choices that I need to undo. Or, or, or well, I can understand how God loves her. I get why God loves him, but why would God love me? You haven't quite done what I have. And, and God's just saying, no, 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 no. I get that. I know that no one is holy. No one has earned it. And that's why I'm here with you. I love how the apostle Paul, he kind of paints this picture for us talking about Jesus saying, Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we may have new life. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse 17, talking about how the holiness of God becomes ours. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 begins this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, right? Not through you, not through your work, not through your effort, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are ambassadors of the nature, the beauty, the holiness of God. As though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin because he was holy, to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. New creation, be holy for I am holy. I know you were a sinner, but Jesus has done it for you. There's this, uh, arguably my favorite story in all of scripture is, is found in Exodus chapter three. And, and, and you're probably wondering if you haven't noticed at this point, I'm not wearing any shoes and, and here's why. In Exodus chapter three, God has selected this man by the name of Moses. And he's calling Moses out to be the, the leader of the nation of Israel, to rescue them from bondage, to rescue them from oppression. It's this great foreshadowing, you know, maybe perhaps you've, you've seen like Prince of Egypt, you've got the plagues and you've got the Passover, you've got the Red Sea and all that type of stuff. Before any of that happens, God calls Moses. He says, Mo, I need you to go up to this mountain. Because on that mountain, I'm going to meet you there. And I've got great news. I've got a great word for you. And so Moses, he treks up this mountain and, and then he walks into this cavern. And what he sees there is this bush. And this bush is on fire. 
Yet the bush isn't burning. It's not crippling. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, withering away. And he begins to take a step when God says, Ooh, hold up. Let's, I am here where you are standing as holy ground, remove your sandals. And so Moses gets to experience the presence, the holiness of God. So he reaches down, he undoes his hand. And I just like to think, what was it like? Putting your feet in that dirt, feeling that grain of your sand, that this just wasn't sand. This was a holy place that he was with God because God was there. God was with him. The message then from there is, but Moses, I am going to go with you. I am going to be in you. My spirit is going to be alongside of you. And so as he's standing there with the sand in between his toes, he experiences the holiness of God. That is the foundation for releasing the nation of Israel for freedom to be rescued. And here's where I think this is important for us because we don't have to go up a mountain to meet God. We don't, we don't have to go over to the nation of Israel and climb Mount Sinai and find some of that holy sand to stand. Rather, because Jesus Christ says, if you believe in me, if you have repented of your sin and you have received my grace, I live in you. And so this is what it means for us is that if we are Christians, if we are disciples, if we believe in Jesus, wherever we go is holy ground. Wherever we go is holy ground. Think about that for a moment. That, that if Jesus has given you his holiness, that, that whether you go to work, whether you go home, whether you go to that ball field, whether you're going over to that friend's house, wherever you go, if the spirit of God is living inside of you, guess what? There is holy ground. Not because you have earned it, not because you have done anything to make it holy, but because God has said, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the way. And this is my challenge for each and every one of us. I'm not trying to guilt us into anything, but our union, our connection, our closeness, our instepness, that's just a word I made, our instepness with the Spirit is through only the ability of Jesus. But remember, we are ambassadors. We are going, we are taking the nature of God with us. And so if God is holy and Jesus is our holiness, and through faith and through repentance, we have new life. We are new creation. He is living in us. Why wouldn't you view your life? That everywhere you went was like that holy sand that Moses stood on. That every conversation, every relationship, every home, every friend, every business, that everywhere you went was holy ground because God is with us. Our head knowledge about the holiness of God is one thing, but it needs to lead to a heart change. Why wouldn't we, we understand that, that good news, that message and allow it to transform us? Sure, God is big. Sure, God is other. Sure, he's otherworldly, but he has made himself knowable at the same time. Even though he's distant, he is close in a way in which he says, I've given you myself. The holiness of Jesus is in you. 
So I don't know for you this morning, how this is tugging at your heartstrings. I don't know perhaps how the spirit may be convicting or challenging you with this truth. See, some of us, we might be saying, this is exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that good news that I don't have to earn God. I don't have to prove my way. I don't have to pay off my debt first in order to get in, that it is a free gift. If that's you this morning, we wanna encourage you to reach out to us. Whether whether you're in one of our, our, our physical locations, one of our pastors would love to talk to you after service. If you're catching us online, we would highly encourage and love for you. There's a button that says, says uh, uh, I have made a decision to follow Jesus. And that one of our people, one of our hosts, one of our pastors would love to talk to you about that. Some of us be like, well, okay, well, I've done that. I know the holiness of God is in me, but you know, I don't feel really super holy all the time. Well, welcome to the club. But it's an invitation, isn't it? to have that experience, to have that holiness for it to be with us. I love our new vision statement here at first that we are, our mission is to help each other follow Jesus. But we said, we wanna see 5,000 next steps of discipleship. And that's essentially what we're talking about is letting the holiness of Jesus change and transform your life from the inside out. One of the great ways that I wanna invite and encourage you to find out more about how to apply and understand the holiness of God is through joining our mid-sized group. In a couple of weeks, we have a mid-sized group about how to study the Bible. Uh, at our Next Steps kiosk, where you can pull up the app, you can find out more information and you can sign up for that course, that class, that mid-sized group to understand the word of God and how we can apply it to our lives. As we close here this morning, again, holiness is not something we earn or something we attain. It's the result of Jesus being in us and living with him, of loving him, of cherishing him, pursuing him and trusting his way of life. Let's move to our time of response. I love how Eric phrased this, that it has to move from your head to your heart. And it makes me think, about that saying that good intentions are just that. Good intentions are great, but unless you follow through, does it really matter? And so when you think about something, God has placed something in your head and you're changing, then we've gotta let that trickle down to our hearts. We have to be that change. And then when he talked about standing on holy ground, about everywhere that we go is holy because God is everywhere. Guys, we may think that we do things in secret and you may think that you're hiding really well, but can I be honest with you? That God is always there and he knows everything. But I think the coolest thing about God is that he loves us regardless of our sin. That it tells us in scripture that there is nothing that we could do that could separate us from the love of God. And I cling to that. That no matter how much I've messed up, no matter where I've been, God says, whisper my name and I'm there. You are only a whisper. I think this morning as we're standing on holy ground is the perfect opportunity for us to take communion 
together. So if you would get your communion elements out, it says the night before Jesus' death, he took the bread and he was eating with his disciples and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the next breath, he held up the cup and he said, this is my blood that I'll shed for you. Take and drink. And do all of this in remembrance of me. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we are so thankful that you love us. And we are so thankful for your grace. And we are so thankful that when we stand, no matter where we are, that you are there. That nothing is too big for you. And we're so thankful for that, Jesus. Would you help us to look more like you this week as we remember that everywhere we are, you are there. And we love you. We love you. We love you.